especially in a time where the whole world felt so out of control, to be doing this thing that felt so careful in a way. Like, it felt like we were dating in an extremely thoughtful fashion. And that was really nice. From the Boston Globe and PRX, this is Love Letters. I'm Meredith Goldstein. Well, here we are, peering hopefully toward the light at the end of a very long year. And I am so here for that. I want to eat at restaurants again. I'm looking at you, Cheesecake Factory. I want to go to shows and book talks and, I don't know, my friend's kitchens. I want to spend actual quality time inside with my sister. I know we're not there yet, but I've been feeling optimistic that we will be there soon. All of us, I think, are ready for a fresh start. And that is exactly what we'll be exploring in season five of the podcast. All this season, stories of new beginnings, resets, do-overs, and fresh chapters. We've got some great guests, and I can't wait for you to meet them. I want to start in the very present tense with the story of a couple who, despite all of the horribleness of the past year, actually managed to find each other in a pandemic and then figured out how to stay together despite different ideas initially about safety and boundaries and intimacy. It's the story of Christina Libby and Tim Cahill. I'm Christina Libby. I'm 36 years old. I live in New York City. I write and I make public art and I am a chief science officer at an AI company. My name is Tim. I am 34 years old. I live in Brooklyn, New York. Let's rewind back to before times when Tim and Christina had not yet met. Christina had lived with a guy for three years. He was a wonderful person, she says, but they just weren't compatible, so they broke up. Then I went into this period of realizing, like, I didn't totally know who I was, and I didn't know even what kind of men I liked to date. And so I categorized it as, like, getting really lost. I wanted to date all kinds of men. She does this thing where she goes on 50 first dates with 50 people. Not like one-night stands, just dates to figure out what's out there, who she's drawn to. And then something traumatic happens. It's the summer of 2019. Christina is kite surfing off a beach in Brooklyn. She suffers a pretty serious brain injury. I fell from about 12 feet onto my head. And I was then dragged for a number of feet, probably like another 35 feet from the kite, got up, kept kite surfing, didn't understand that I had something wrong with me because there was something so wrong with me I didn't understand, and didn't go to the hospital for a couple of days, and then had to go because I woke up at like four in the morning sobbing. I couldn't stand light or sound. I had to use my computer in grayscale on the lowest setting while wearing sunglasses. If people touched me, I would cry from like sensory overload. In response to that period of being like lost and kind of wild for a while was like this crazy injury and then isolation and seclusion. This difficult chapter in her life brings Christina to an epiphany. She doesn't want to go through something like this alone. Then, in December of 2019, 
it seems like her wish has been granted. She falls in love at a coffee shop. And it felt like one of those movie moments you hear about where this man walks in and you're just like, whoa. And then he ended up talking to me and we had this sort of really felt like a beautiful conversation. They start dating. He's doing a lot of international travel. Christina flies to see him in Paris and then in Rwanda. She goes to the Congo, climbs a mountain, sees gorillas. And then things suddenly get weird. This guy shows her photos of another woman who is totally naked. The photos are on his phone. He's also saying, I love you, to Christina. She doesn't know what to think. I had this beautiful, neat, cute moment with someone that I thought I was wildly in love with. And then so shocked. And And that whole experience was really confusing and awful. This is in March of 2020, just as the world begins to shut down because of COVID. For a few weeks, she and this guy try to forge on in their relationship, but it doesn't work. Christina finds herself back at square one, feeling pretty dejected. I just was like, I never want to feel like this again. Like, I never want to feel like my heart totally torn out, particularly for someone who, like, wasn't nice, right? Who just, like, didn't, like, wasn't worth, wasn't worth all of that love. Christina enters another period of intense soul-searching. She's in therapy several times a week. She has heart-to-hearts with her family. And that's not all. I, like, went back and talked to, like, every ex-boyfriend I had broken up with about, like, why didn't the relationship work? What do you think of me? I, like, went on walks with ex-boyfriends who were here in New York City. You, like, did the full high-fidelity experience. I did. (laughs) I did. Yes. I, like, wanted that exploration of just where were all of my mistaken beliefs? And it was so wonderful to talk to these men who were just like, I love you. And these are things that didn't work. Tim, meanwhile, had had a longer-term relationship end. He'd been on dating apps, but he was getting a little tired of it all. I guess I was a little burnt out uh, of it, as I'm sure everyone kind of gets. When the pandemic takes hold, he's trying to figure out what he wants and whether it will even be possible to date while everything is shut down. Part of what makes dating so uncertain is that Tim is very frightened of COVID. Beyond the regular reasons, he's adopted and doesn't know the medical history of his biological family. He could be high risk. I mean, early on, I was just like, this is terrifying. I felt like I read so many stories about, like, a person with no symptoms having a stroke in their kitchen and just straight up dying. And I was just like, holy shit, like, that is, that is terrible. And if that is possible, oh, odds are that it will, of course, happen to me. You know, very kind of selfish point of view in that respect. Nonetheless, Tim is on the dating app Bumble, not entirely giving up hope. Christina is on Bumble, too, also not entirely giving up hope. It's June of 2020 by this point, smack in the middle of the pandemic. It was like, if we are going to be in a second lockdown, if this is going to continue, I just don't want to do it alone. Like, I need to find the person who is going to do this life with me. So she's scrolling through these dating profiles and she lands on Tim's. He was wearing like a plaid shirt and he was standing holding a cup of coffee and wearing jeans 
And I immediately was like, oh, that man, like I could see that man standing in a kitchen on Sunday morning, having a coffee and being someone that you just wanted to talk to. Like a throwback boyfriend in a way, like the kind of boyfriend you were looking for when you were like 10 years old. His profile was like that he was from Massachusetts, his age, that he was a writer. And then in his bio, it said, don't worry, I'm not a serial killer, which I thought was hilarious. And so I immediately was just like, why would anyone think you were a serial killer? And he texted, you know, like message back in the app. And he's like, well, isn't that what all girls think about men on these kinds of apps? And I was like, only the ones who say they're not a serial killer. She had a very charming picture of her. I think she was, I think she was like sitting on a boat with a, a hat on. You see a lot of certain types of pictures and her, hers just kind of struck me as being like, oh, this, this seems like a nice normal person in a weird sea of humans. Because I had done a lot of online dating and had dated a lot of people, I knew that that could fall apart really quickly. Someone can be very clever and fun and you can have an amazing text message relationship and then you meet them in real life and you're just like, oh, this person's a total dud. Christina and Tim start texting. And then a couple days later, it's 10 o'clock at night and she's like, want to talk on FaceTime right now? He was like, sure, but could you like give me five minutes to put on a shirt and brush my hair? And I was like, oh yeah, (laughs) okay, I guess that's fine. Maybe I should brush my hair too. There is no real pretension or... Uh, anything kind of staged about it that, yeah, I guess I was pretty drawn to because it was like, oh, cool, this person is just just wants to talk. And that that feels, that felt pretty natural. And we probably talked for like two hours and then it was midnight. And I was like, oh my God, I have to go to sleep. I'm not someone who stays up. T- I like, am I like a 9.15 in bed kind of person? And I just remember getting off the phone with him and being so like buzzy. Like first date, you know, when you have a good first date, you know, that like kind of buzzy glow you feel like when you go home. But for Christina, the buzzy glow turns into a kind of impatience. She wants to know if this could really be a thing, if Tim is as good in real life as he seems on a screen. She starts pushing for a first date. I wanted to meet him right away because I continued to have this fear that this wasn't real, that we wouldn't have any actual attraction, that it wouldn't work out. Tim, remember, is freaked out about getting sick. So he puts the brakes on. I felt like I was really pushing him, which was a real like gender role reversal because normally I feel like men are like pushing women to kiss, to come over, like whatever. It takes almost a month before Tim agrees to meet Christina for a walk many feet apart. Tim, despite being anxious about COVID, is actually excited about this date. All this time that Christina has been trying to get together, Tim's fondness for her had been steadily growing. My correspondence with Christina was so fun and earnest up until that point that, like, Christina could have shown up in, like, a suit of armor, and I would have been like, oh, I think I I still like this person. They agree to meet in Tim's neighborhood of Ditmas Park in Brooklyn, Christina brings her 100-pound sheep-a-doodle. It has all the makings of that perfect first date in a movie. But that's not exactly how things go down. When I first met him, I didn't feel that immediate spark. 
I remember getting out of the car and seeing him and just being like, this man doesn't look the same as he did in his pictures. And like having one second being like, am I being catfished with a complete stranger wearing a mask? It was just so hard. It was so hard to get any feeling with him at all. And then we were walking through the park and we were talking about serial killers which Tim actually is weirdly into serial killers for the record. So we made up this idea of like, what if there was a jelly bean killer in Prospect Park, which was just like based off this funny idea of like, what if someone tried to kill you by shoving jelly beans down your throat? Like what a weird kind of killer. And I was just like, oh, he's so funny and so creative. I like want to see his face. But In this dating world, asking someone to take off their mask sort of felt like in a non-COVID world, if you were on a first date and like a man was like, I think I like you, but would you just take your bra off so I could just get a better sense of what's, you know, like it kind of felt like that, like it felt so inappropriate. They walk about six miles over a few hours. They say goodbye and Christina gets into a taxi to head home. I wanted to believe that something was wrong with my own radar. And like, I wanted, I wanted to think of something different, but I didn't have that immediate moment of knowing that this is my person. It felt really good to talk to someone and walk with someone that I had been sort of speaking with digitally for a a little bit of time now. I think I even texted her after and I was like, wow, that was like a lot of fun. And my response back was, was it? Question mark. I was like, I don't know. I feel like there wasn't a lot of chemistry. And he was just like, okay. Like, and, and I was just like, I don't know what to do. And the guy's like, Tim, you just gotta let this one go because clearly there's a, a two different sides, you know, different opinions about how, how that date went. So yeah, I think I was like, oh, that's a bummer. Like, yeah, I was definitely bummed for sure. Tim and Christina both resign themselves to the possibility that they may not be a good match after all. Like, maybe this has all been for nothing. And yet, all those conversations over text and video chat, before they'd ever laid eyes on each other in person, gave them a kind of foundation, a level of trust and familiarity. Neither of them is willing to give up on that just yet. Their story continues when we come back. Okay, we're back. So Christina has this nagging feeling like maybe they should try again. Maybe she shouldn't walk away so quickly. They make plans for a second date at the beach, but it's a sweltering summer day. And because of her brain injury, Christina says, she's feeling pretty sick. And I was like, I can't go, I can't drive to the beach. And I was like, would you drive? And Tim was like, no, I don't feel comfortable doing that. And I was just like, annoyed, right? Like, I was just like, that's annoying, whatever, but fine. I'm like almost in your neighborhood. I do want to go on a walk or something. And so I was waiting in the car and I was in so much pain that I was sort of like half sleeping in the car. And he like comes and he brings me a key lime seltzer water. And it was actually the sweetest. It was like the simplest thing for someone to do. They end up taking a short walk and then just sitting with each other in the grass, 10 feet apart. And he took his mask off 
And I was like, oh, this man has such a handsome face. And I had like a little bit of like a stomach butterfly, that sort of first date feeling that you would really want. It felt so much more normal. I could see her face, she could see mine. And I think there was a little bit of warmth there where, where we were like, okay, cool. This is this is the human that I have been talking to, not, not some kind of robot that, you know, he sent out into the world. At some point after this, Christina and Tim have a conversation about how, for Christina, falling in love has to mean fireworks. He was like, I'm a slow burn. And I was just like, I don't want a slow burn. And I had a great chat with my therapist. And my therapist was like, sometimes you have that real cosmic moment with someone where it feels like a total fire. And he's like, and that burns out really quickly. In fact, that very thing had just happened with the guy she met in the coffee shop before the pandemic. And so it really was like a challenge for me to believe that there was a different way to fall in love with someone. Before long, Tim's slow burn starts to become something else for Christina. She starts to see a kind of Victorian sexiness in it. There is a strange thing about a man who, like, doesn't want to physically see or touch you and you wanting to make that man physically see and touch you that felt really, like, temptressy, you know? Like, there was sort of a strange sexuality in that where I was just like, I'm going to wear a really pretty dress. I felt like... I'm going to pull on that until, like, you want to touch me enough to, like, overcome your extreme fear of touching another human. Date number three is a picnic in Prospect Park. I imagine it kind of like that famous George Seurat painting from the 1800s. All very proper. Maybe some umbrellas. What I brought to the picnic was like an entire picnic basket with a chocolate cake and champagne and crackers and cheese and like proper plates and like a picnic basket. And I was just like, I'm going to make this feel like a date. We like played this card game that asked all of these questions. What did you think when you first saw me? What do you think my best feature is? What was your first impression of me? And I think both of us asked each other that question. What would your best friend say about you? What would your mom say about you? What is something that you should know about yourself that you probably don't know? What are you most afraid of? And this brings us to the beach date. They make plans one day to go to Rockaway Beach. Christina picks Tim up in her car. They're both in masks with the windows down. Then you get to a beach and there's like a billion people and you're like, oh, these people aren't wearing masks. But I think I had done a little bit of my due diligence reading of there's a lot of stuff published about coronavirus and beaches and how a beach is an extremely safe place to be. So we got there and we jumped into the water and there were these big, big waves. And I kind of got pushed around by a wave. And I remember like reaching out and just sort of like grabbing his hand. And it just was like, whoa. You know, like this feeling of just like, oh, whoa, I like I touched his hand. You know, it was just like, felt like such a big relationship barrier, like crossing. And then we got back on the beach and, you know, we were just kind of hanging out and he had this golden sun reflecting on him and he was like kind of sleeping and he just looked so 
just so beautiful and just like so at peace. And I think for someone who has been like so stressed out for so many months, caught in their home, I just felt really amazing to give him this peaceful moment. There definitely was a moment where I definitely took like a mind picture where I think she was just like reading the newspaper. Christina was just like sitting next to me and reading the newspaper. And I think I was just like watching the waves or watching surfers or something. And you're just like, holy shit, like... I have missed life a lot and I have missed just the pleasure of of sitting next to someone, you know, that you like and just doing nothing. And I noticed she was a little bit closer, you know, and I was like, okay, you're going to have to get comfortable with this if you want to, to myself, you know, if you, if you want to obviously have like a, a relationship with this person. And then Christina gets bold. I leaned across the three feet across from us and like gave him a little kiss on his shoulder. And it felt so like risque. It felt like I had just done something so bad. I think it like probably broke my brain for a a hot minute and then I kind of registered that, oh, that's that's kind of an okay move, right? Because you're, you're, you're sort of just kissing this this part of someone and like this is so terrible but like scientifically that's okay and that's that's a beautiful way to show affection you know i probably like just could have fucking cried on the beach because it was so nice my life had just been like sitting inside and hearing a chorus of sirens every single day i think i had always thought to myself like okay like you cannot date for like a year like that's nothing So I had kind of uh, slightly made up my mind that that was an okay possibility and that I have like the whatever internal will to just be like, oh, I can go, you know, I can go forever if, if, you know, it means that I don't get sick and die. And uh, I think just have a moment that felt so close to a genuine pre-pandemic kiss was just like magic. It was like, you know, holy shit, the, the power of touch is such a real thing. That was sort of a moment for me where it went from everything being like sort of stressful to fun, but I also really pressured him. A few days later, I was like, I need to know if you're going to like try to kiss me. Because I think also that like shoulder kiss moment just made me be like, I don't want to just have like a phone chat conversation with this guy. I want to have like a relationship. This feels like a major turning point. But for Christina, she's still trying to figure out the right thing to do. I felt like just very confused by, I think it was confusing for everyone. What is appropriate? What isn't? Our political information was all over the place. And then you're trying to like navigate someone else's feelings while also trying to navigate your own desires. Very difficult. By this point, it's mid-August of 2020. Tim and Christina have known each other for two months. In normal New York dating years... That's an eternity. And yet, they haven't so much as kissed. Christina is training for a long hike with the Make-A-Wish Foundation. She asks Tim if he would come hiking with her one day in Harriman State Park, north of New York City. He says, sure. But she wants to get an early start. She tells him, I'm not driving all the way out to your neighborhood before dawn. You can either take a cab in the morning or sleep on my couch the night before. I had done my mental math and knew that I wanted that I wanted to kiss Christina 
you know, I wanted to make out with her. And I had spoken with my therapist about that on Monday. And I even spoke with my roommate about it. And I was like, this is, you know, this is a calculated risk that I want to take. And I, you know, I want to kiss this person. I want to show this person that I have affection for them. You know, I I am willing to work this out. How do I do this? From the get-go, I like kind of psyched myself up a little bit. I was like, okay, you're going to be in an Uber for 40 minutes. I think I wore two masks because I I was like, okay, you're going to be in this car for a long time. Like that's like, that's obstacle number one. Like that obstacle number two is getting, you know, getting into your apartment, seeing what the building's like, all this shit. Part of what puts Tim at ease when he comes to Christina's in Manhattan is that life seems more normal in her neighborhood. He sees people eating at outdoor restaurants it feels much less grim than it does where he lives in Brooklyn. Tim and Christina get Mexican food and some margaritas. Enough so that I was like, I was kind of like, are you going to kiss me? And then he did. And Tim's side of the story is so different where he was like, I knew I was going to kiss you the whole time. Like, blah, blah, blah. I wasn't going to sleep on your couch. I think for me, I had just been like, okay, if there's ever been a time to, you know, kiss the girl or go for the kiss or, or see if see if love is worth pursuing, you know, like, this is it. This is, this is it. Taking that leap of faith was a humongous act of trust. He, like, hadn't drank in so long that he was super hungover, and he was, like, uh, trying not to throw up on the car ride to the hike. And then following the hike was actually, like, still so sick that he, like, couldn't even eat lunch. The hikes get better in the weeks ahead, though. Tim and Christina start doing lots of them together. And then lots of other things. So we are now doing these imagination dates. And so last weekend, we were like, let's go to Italy on date night. And so Tim made homemade pizza, which he's actually exceptional at. And then we got, like, dressed up. Well, I got dressed up in kind of, like, Italianish clothes. And then we... We're supposed to watch a movie about Italy, but we ended up watching The Departed. But, um... (laughs) Tim and I were joking that, like, most relationships, it's like 30 years in, right? Where you're like, we're going to spice things up. Like, we're going to have an Italy date night. And then, but having to do so many of those things now, really early on, makes me feel confident that 30 years from now we could, like, figure out how to continue to make a relationship work. Early on in our relationship, Tim started writing me love letters. It really helped me understand that he was starting to love me. Just like... I know you might not understand these things, but like, here's, here's how I feel when I see you, or here's what I'm thinking about. At some point, Christina says to Tim, listen, the infection rates are much lower in my neighborhood. Why don't you just come and stay with me for a while? Four and a half months later, he like has left maybe twice to go home for very short periods of time. Like once when he started a new job um, for like two nights and then a few times to pick things up. At first, it was about keeping each other safe. And then now it's just like, well, what what would I do without him? We played Losing My Religion at the highest volume on Alexa and just like 
danced around the apartment for like a half hour. Like we were characters in a rom-com. What a fun life. Like what a, like what a fun life to have a like losing your religion dance party. But then just a few weeks ago, life put a little wrinkle in their happily ever after. Christina and Tim faced the very thing that he especially was so worried about. They both got sick with COVID. Their cases were mild, they say, and they've since recovered. Christina has been a witness to COVID's devastation as founder of the Floral Heart Project, which honors victims and families through heart-shaped flower memorials. She got sick in the midst of organizing a national day of mourning at 100 sites across the country. Sometimes it's easy to forget that Tim and Christina still have no idea what it's like to be together in normal times. I'm very excited to like travel with her because I know, I know she loves traveling so much. I'm extremely excited to just like see what the fuck a normal day is like, meaning like, what's it like when she's like, I got to go do this thing. And I'm like, oh, and I got to go work at this thing. Do you want to, you know, meet me after I'm meeting some friends for coffee or something and to just like go be able to do that. I can totally imagine like going to a friend's wedding with with Tim and just dancing the whole time and how fun that would be. Part of what gives them confidence about the years ahead are all those talks they had early on about safety and boundaries and needs. The pandemic forced them into a level of deep communication that maybe in normal life just wouldn't have happened. That help dating, just get boiled down to like so much more serious shit. Like, what are you willing to risk? What are you comfortable with? What are you looking for? You know, and it's just like, oh, right out of the gate. It's like backwards. It's being like having all the really, really tough, blunt, huge kind of existential conversations first, and then eventually you'll be released released into, into everyday life. The more time we spend together, the less concerned I am about the future. I do think... We do different things. Tim loves music. He, like, loves to go to shows. He, like, loves dark, dirty bars, you know? And I like dark, dirty bars, but I also like really swanky, nice, like, sort of beautiful hotel bars where you have to spend $30 on a cocktail, but you feel okay because it's so beautiful. We get to start dating all over again, right? Because we get to do it in the way that everyone else gets to do it. And, like, I can't wait for the day of just being, like walking the dog and seeing like an empty spot at a bar and being like, Tim, come meet me at this bar. Do you want to have a drink? Gosh, like what a simple thing that like fills me with just an intense amount of pleasure at the idea of doing it. Love Letters is a production of the Boston Globe and PRX. Today's episode was produced by Scott Hellman. Ned Porter does our audio mixing, sound design, and mastering. Devin Smith and Jenna Serbo do our audience engagement. Love Letters illustrations by Ashanti Davis. Check them out on the Love Letters Instagram. Special thanks to Brian McGrory and Linda Henry. Our music is from APM. And if you like the show, please leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. And you can always send us a letter, your love question, to loveletters at boston.com. We're online at loveletters.show. Like, I definitely remember going on dates back in the real world. And if there was ever, like, a dead pause or, like, kind of a a dead moment within the date, being like, oh, I should just, you know, just say something. And then you, you know, blurt out something like, what do you think of socks? 
I'm Meredith Goldstein. Thanks for listening.